Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side, your coach. Today we're talking humor. I can hardly wait. Apparently, we need to learn this one. Right, Merritt? People have been calling in yeah. saying we uh, are humor. We've humor. been struggling. Apparently, yeah. they don't find us as funny as we all find us. Well, but... obviously, they're messed up because we of are course. nailing it. Yeah, every single time. Yeah. My two friends, they say they can't stop laughing. Really? My mom, you know, when she, she tunes it? in she every once it. in a while, she says it's amusing. See? So, you okay. Know. And that came from a professor. So you know it's good. Bryce, you... Uh... I was going to say, Matt, your mom doesn't count, and then Merritt quoted her mom, and so I guess moms count. And my mom doesn't think we're funny, so whatever. Well, you know, your mom <laughs> called me and said we're hilarious. Uh, okay. But sure. by the way, she's sure. got a deep voice. Yeah, yeah. Sultry. So, velvety. Sultry, I think that's the word we're velvety looking for. Velvety voice. I, you know what's weird? I feel like I'm doing a marriage counseling session as I look across the board to this beautiful couple. Matt, uh, you are not supposed to bring this up ever. Hold on, what? We're bring, stopping now. Bring what up? Your mom. That's Hannah Montana. <laughs> Why, Hannah? What am I not supposed to bring up? Your mom. Well, no. I, no, I brought up that I'm looking at a beautiful couple and I feel like I'm doing marriage counseling. Merritt and Bryce are not dating. No, that's not the couple I'm looking at. I'm looking at you and Jaime. Me and Bryce are not dating. You know the guy on, on your right? See him right there? Filling in for Skyboy today, <laughs> James. Now, by the way, James, be real. You and Hannah Montana have been dating. Maybe. We, you know that there's a no fraternizing rule on the Matt Townsend show. Really? What does that entail? Uh, no fraternizing <laughs> rule. You know, actually, when uh, we first started our relationship, me and uh, Hannah Montana. Uh, Montana, Montana, Hannah Montana, we we um, signed a non fraternization uh, contract. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so you're actually not fraternizing. You are just friends <laughs> at work. Exactly. I've never seen. Just so you know, Hannah Montana, I've never seen anyone stand that close. To a board op. Except when Sky's the board op and I'm using his mic. We yeah. stand pretty close. Uh, that's awkward. Let's not Well, go they're there. scuba buddies. Yeah, they are. <laughs> we have to rely on each other because we could die down there. They're actually credentialed. They have credentials for their buddydom. You have no credentials. You just have affection. And no fraternization signatures. So yeah. let's just do something for fun while, we're, while we have a little bit of time. Um when I sit down with couples, first thing I ask is, "So, what can I do for you? What do you guys, what do you, what do you guys want to talk about? What are you here for?" Leave us alone. <laughs> okay, does that what he says to you when like he's mad? <laughs> Tell me more. That about That was well played, Matt. Thank that was you. well played. Tell me more about that. You want it to be over? Is that what you're saying? Well, I think what we really need is help help with humor because Hannah has a big problem with thinking she's funny when she's not really funny. <laughs> I know. I know. I just laid oh, down anyway. the gauntlet on that one. I'm in yeah. trouble now. Someone's, I guess, you know, this might be the last time you guys have the fraternization problem because you just threw her under the bus. <laughs> Apparently it's over. 
See, that's what's one. That's great because see, I may have just destroyed a relationship, but then if you want to pay me, I'll help you fix it. Clever, well played, Matt. Well played every time. <laughs> Same thing with you and Skyboy. Okay, on the scuba stuff. Hey, that's a very important relationship. Okay. By the way, uh, any word on Sky? Uh, he's actually doing okay now. Is he? He might show up on Monday. Wow, that was some serious lice. But when it, when the lice gets big enough, you can actually start punching the lice. Lunch um, pie, the punch, yeah. Um, lice then, punch. Lice of unusual size. Yeah, but I don't I don't think they're real. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, you can punch them and kill them. Well, um, at least you know what's happening when he starts punching invisible things above his head. Yeah, oh, that was the. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember when we just saw him scooting on the carpet, rubbing his head on the carpet? That, that was, was a little weird. weird. And I'm like, now, but now it makes sense. He had something going on on his head. He was just rubbing his head on the carpet. That was weird. Fixed. He's okay now. Yep. We'll see. That's it. If he's in on Monday. Well, we love him. I'm sure he's not listening. He's probably in traction. Getting an IV or something. It's just chemo to get rid of the. Is it that bad? It's chemo. You know, just have just you talked sure. to him for real? Does he know no, that I, we're talking about him? Uh, this way? I think he's clueless. I texted him yesterday, but he didn't text back. Again, so. let's just make something clear for all the listeners. Sky's been out all week. You know, he's our board op. Wears tights and a cape. We miss him. He because he's not here. We're trying to figure out what's wrong with him. We've we're pretty much convinced he's got head lice, and that's why he hasn't been able to come. He's patient zero for zombie cancer head lice. Yes. So true point here, though. We actually have no data to support any of this. But that's fine. But that's we okay. do know him well. Anecdotal evidence. Anecdotal. And he was rubbing his head on the carpet. Therefore, head lice. That's enough for me. I, I believe. If it. he cared, he'd call in. Don't you think, James? Definitely. James, will you watch the lines today? Because I want to see if, if there is a call. It's probably from Super Head Lice Boy. Yeah, I I'd imagine so. I think he's actually called at least six times now. Has he? Yeah. Maybe one of us ought to answer it next time. He might be filing a suit for, uh, would it be slander or libel? Libel's print, right? Yeah. Slander's spoken. What if it's actually true, though, and we're just, we just happen to hit it right, well, on, then the, that violates... right on the head? No pun intended. Uh, <laughs> uh, that it, pun was intended. The, those, Don't lie to the, me. That was bad humor. Now, here's what we're going to get to, though, for real. Today, we're talking about humor. Humor. That's how Oprah would have said it. <laughs> Humor. Channeling yeah. your inner Oprah. I like it, Matt. I loved Oprah when she was on. When I was sick, hang out. I walk in the room today, walk into the studio. I'm thinking, hey, these guys are going to be just kicking back, talking about something intriguing. Why, why wouldn't they? And they're talking about baths. It was the craziest thing I've ever walked into. Baths and uh, Bryce is like, no, 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 what, man? You don't like baths. No, no, I'm too big for baths. Like, I don't fit in bathtubs. I'm James, too- you don't like baths. You tried a bath, you said, and uh, it made you feel weird and clean and squeaky. <laughs> it was a strange feeling. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't quite sure. Um, I, I liked it. Do you remember what your lovely friend said the second you said that? Ew, I don't know. No. Do you remember what you said, Hannah Montana? I don't remember. I said I like baths. You said you love baths. I she's, love baths. She's also the smallest person in here. So yeah. mm-hmm. By like an inch. Well. We married her pretty close. But if you look at it, 
right there, I'm just pointing out something. If you guys ever thought about taking this relationship to another level, marriage, for example, we already Are, have a conflict. Am I going to feel uncomfortable like this whole show? Oh, you Probably. get ready. I've seen this happen before. <laughs> I'm ready. It's funny. But so right here we already have an issue because he's like, I don't like baths. And you're like, I love them. I can't get enough baths. <laughs> so right there, you're going to be fighting over baths. You're right. Let's just call it quits. <laughs> Over the again, radio. Why, why, <laughs> fixing it? I'm here. Why, why'd you break up? Bats. We cannot agree on whether they should be had. <laughs> you know, some places have a shower and a bath combo. I'm just thinking. If you, guys, if you guys live in together and get married, then do that. I feel impelled to give you $50 for that advice. I feel compelled to take it. Deal. Fork it over. Oh, Keep digging. It's not in there. Uh, Merit, humor. So here's my point. I found it funny that you guys were talking about baths, and that is not something that's actually funny. So what was funny about that, except I found it funny, and I giggled inside. You want to know? Yeah. Okay, I have an answer for you. Okay. So in fact, 90% of everything that people laugh at Yeah isn't actually funny. No, like, my mom even have... says that. Don't laugh. That's not funny, yeah. she'd say. Okay, but here's the thing. Don't laugh. Kind of laughter yeah. and humor are two different things. So oh. kind of laughter and the way we use it is just kind of a bonding device. And so you'll laugh at each other. Okay, so someone falls friendship. down the stairs. I laugh. My that mom's actually not funny, funny though, but actually. that's not funny. She could have died. Well, she might not have found it funny, but you can find it funny. So why are we laughing if it's not funny? You're saying to bond. So if we were all standing there and we saw that, we'd all laugh. Yeah. That seems rude. Is that not rude? Yeah, a little bit. Mom says it's rude. We shouldn't laugh at things that aren't funny, but it seems like 90% of what we laugh at isn't even funny. Isn't even funny, you know. But see, that's because, again, laughter serves other purposes. Okay. And so here's one. Um, Laughter is a way to alleviate tension in a situation. Yes. So that's probably why you laughed at the person tripping. You that's were trying true. to alleviate the tension. It was kind of awkward to watch Have you trip. ever heard of the, what's it called, the primal scream? Is that what it's called? Where you just, whenever Catharsis? You, well, it's a cathartic scream. Is but, that what it is? But it's like you just scream. So when you like are frustrated, you go to a quiet place by yourself, shut the door, and you ah! scream. I believe that's called the interior of my car. Yes. And... But now, Bryce, you could just laugh. Just laugh. Oh, good. It makes sense. It would heal you. It so, would de-stress you. So when people are bad at driving, like they sometimes, maybe always, maybe not are in this state. Yeah. People um, yell. They laugh. don't laugh. They I just roll laugh. down my window and just like cackle at them. Yeah. Right now, there's <laughs> there's drivers right now. I saw it on the way here. It was quite funny, actually. I'm driving right next to a guy, and the the freeway. He was on his phone texting. Oh, good. But you so should have laughed at him. I actually like to pull up to the side. Now that I think about it, it's stupid because I could die. But I'm pulling up to the side watching this guy text. Now, interestingly, I'm watching him. He's watching his hand. Which is No worse. one's watching the road. No one's. And so – but the, the, we kind of hit a place in the freeway where you, you had to turn your wheel a little bit. You had to just correct a little bit. Well, he didn't correct. So we kind of went about a third into the next lane. Okay? Well, I'm watching the whole time. And he corrects back, freaks out. You can feel his just intensity. And he looks over at me, and I'm looking at him like, (laughs) (laughs) I didn't laugh. I just smiled. And his his face, he gave me that look like, I knew I was going to do that. And his eyes were wide open, totally white. 
He should have just laughed. I thought you slept on your drive here. That's on my drive home. Oh, okay. I tried to sleep here, but then I don't think about the show. Okay. So then I just put music on, and then I don't think about the show, and then I watch other drivers. Okay. It's pretty good. Some people get prepared. Not me. I've got merit. Merit, are you prepared? I'm always prepared. Teach me more about humor. More about humor. Okay, well, most people, when they're, they have their kind of list of qualities that yeah. they want their significant other to have, usually top of the list is a sense of humor. Yes. But there's some funny things about saying that. What? Number one, what you really mean is a sense of humor that you like. Because they could have a sense of humor yeah. that you really don't like. For example, you could be more satiric, ironic Hold on, sort hold of on, humor. hold on, hold on. Ha, ha, ha. Use regular words. Sarcastic? Okay. Is that, is that a regular closer. word? Okay. You could have a more sarcastic sense of humor, and somebody else could have more of a slapstick kind of humor. Yeah, and maybe potty you humor. Get yeah. You could be married to a potty That's humor so guy, and you want satire. Yeah. What's up with that? That's so, not going to mess. So really, that's not what you're saying. That's like showers and tubs. Yeah. So everybody Never has a sense work. of humor. So what you're saying really is you want a particular kind of humor. Yes. And then also, there's kind of an interesting thing about this. There was a study done with a lot of people um, asking what they really wanted yeah. in humor with their partner. And most men said that they wanted women to laugh at their jokes. So they don't care if you actually... No, say they things don't care that are if funny, the woman but they want you to respond funny. appropriately. They want you to respond appropriately. Yeah, that makes like, sense. Kind of, you know, <laughs> ego stroke by giggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas women wanted the men to be funny. They wanted them they to. They wanted actual humor. Yeah, to laugh. Hmm. And so these scientists were kind of like, why is that? What did What's they find the out? What's the reasoning behind it? Well, their guess is that it's evolutionary. Oh, boy. So men need to be reassured that their woman is interested yes. so that they can, you know, so Keep a hold on yeah, them. Got to grab that neck. Yeah. Have children, all that. Yeah. Whereas a woman is looking for a man who will provide her with good children. Joviality. Good offspring. Yeah. So no, what, because humor means that they're probably somewhat creative and somewhat intelligent. Okay. Let's get it. That's huge. Yeah. Because my kids, they're, it has nothing to do with me, by the way. They get humor. Well, they get my kind of humor, I guess. Mm-hmm. Other kids don't get it. Yeah. They don't get it. Like, so I'm, you've provided well, superior offspring. But is it me? Is it that they've learned my style? Because I'll joke with their friends and they'll look at me like, huh? Are you, are you talking to us? And they don't know that it's funny. And my boys will be laughing. <laughs> Some people don't get potty humor, though. <laughs> know what I mean? Maybe they've just been taught that that's... Inappropriate. Yeah. Yeah. Who would teach their kids that? <laughs> Parents. So it's that's an interesting idea. Evolution. Yeah. Evolution. We've evolved this so that we could be more attractive. Basically, yeah. Huh. Some have evolved like an, an incredible body. <laughs> some have ha, some have a hairline that is amazing. Some are six something like Bryce. He Tall has drink it all. of water. Some like baths. Some don't. Hmm. I guess it's all funny, even though it's really not funny. We're uncovering humor. We're going to get in deep. We're going to figure out what uh, is the key to a good sense of humor, I guess. But more importantly, what are some practical tips for humor in your life? 
what makes something funny, what's the fine line between humor and hurt. We're touching on all those subjects, but first let's take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is uh, the day of humor. Today we're talking about humor. We're dissecting what makes something funny from every angle. We now, after A Block, we know some things aren't funny. We know some some people aren't funny. Don't, exactly. We know know some show hosts aren't funny. Right. And you know what? Will you guys talk to them? Okay, we'll get a hold of them. It's all the other show hosts. Thanks, Bryce. Um, I, we should, probably shouldn't talk about them on the air, but that's, I mean, that's rude because they can't respond. We also should not bring up the love life of anybody on the show if they're dating on the show. Right, James? Define dating on the show. I mean, I don't think it's happening on air, is it? I don't know. I don't know, is it? We don't know. We were just watching. Dun, you guys dun, are – I mean, nothing inappropriate happened, but you guys did give each other that look like, wow. An extended stare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I could, that was. Yeah. Um, joining me now is uh, Keyshawn Levon Tobin. Uh, that is not my name. Man, Close, we're trying to guess though. his. We're trying to guess his full name. We know Bryce is at least his first or his middle name. Bryce has been with us for um, six years, and he is an award-winning journalist. Bryce, also by the way, an expert, near nearly an expert in the art of humor. In your studies here at Brigham Young University, you have gone in-depth studying humor. Which sounds sarcastic, but that's actually accurate. My first first ever bit of research that I ever did was based on lots of humor theories. Now, okay, why? So we – I got together with a group and we wanted to create something that would measure someone's level of humor. Really? And so that's kind of a big thing, especially for undergrads, to figure out. So we bit off a lot more than we could chew. But what it was find? really great because we got to read a whole bunch of theories on humor. Do you like put like uh, a sensor somewhere? We actually uh, – it's called measure. a deep uh, – DBS, deep brain stimulation. Oh, wow. You, you poke a hole in someone's head and you just put this little electrode <laughs> way in their brain and you turn – no, we didn't do that. Because I'm thinking that would, <laughs> that would be hard to go back to class after that. After you – yeah. Uh, no. No. We do have a rat lab here. We probably could have done it to them, but I don't know what rats find funny. Well, you know what? I don't either. They don't but have I a bet laugh. Just go to if you just went to Mickey Mouse or he's he's in oh, that area. But he's a mouse to rat. Would that be racist? No, I think they would know. They'd be okay with it. They've got insight. Okay. Yeah. What uh what'd you find out in all your studies? So so we, we we looked into all kinds of things, how how we could create something that would measure someone's Humor level. Humor, yeah. Pretty much what we found was uh, we can't do that yet, mm. at least not with the stuff that we have. But yeah. we created what's called the HSS, the Humor Sensitivity Scale. Oh, cool. And we found that it was pretty dang good at figuring out if if someone was sensitive to humor or if someone was insensitive to humor. So someone can actually be insensitive to it, meaning they're not even picking up the humor, meaning, or they actually are against it. Meaning it doesn't phase them. Uh, not in that they don't find it funny, yeah. but it's just sort of like, oh, someone's trying to be funny, but I, I don't really care. 
Wow, those people seem like down. They seem, I want to hang out with them. <laughs> How can I be their friend? But then some are highly sensitive to humor. Some are. And so uh, there's a technique, there's a, there's a therapy technique, it's called humor therapy. Uh, really? Where you, uh, they, they, they'll use episodes of The Simpsons. They'll, they'll, it's, uh-huh. it's not as complicated as people try and make it sound. Do they dress like a clown? Uh, no, I hope not. Okay. Because that turns into exposure therapy where you're trying to get people to deal with their problems. Yeah, and that seems That hard. gets complicated. Yeah. No, it's it's a technique that, that you don't know when to use. Okay. It's sort of like in your like, – like there's plan A, plan B, and humor therapy is generally in someone's plan C. They're just like, I've tried – the, the stuff that usually works, and I've tried a few weird ones. Uh-huh. I'm just going to just, you know, throw in the spaghetti at the wall, seeing what sticks. It's probably near shock therapy. Uh, yes, which is actually very effective on uh, yeah, depression. Certain people, right. Yeah. But see, humor therapy might be very effective on other people. It might be, but the problem is it's hard to figure out who is sensitive oh. to any kind of humor. And because in when you're when you're in a therapy session, yeah. it's not it's not a very jovial no. environment. Usually, you're there because you have a problem, right? Um, and so you don't really know how these people will react to humor. Well, it sounds like you did a lot of work, and you really didn't find anything out. No, no, no. We figured out a way. Oh, you did that, figure it out. Yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first published thing. You don't get things published. You published it. This is published. So now you're not only an award winning. You're also a published researcher. I'm technically an author. Holy cow. And my name was first on the list of people who did it. What so, name was... did you use? Bryce. Did you have a have a letter before that or after that? Was it a pseudonym? Is that what it is? Yeah. Is that what it is? Pseudonym? Yeah, the fake name. Mm-hmm. You went by Bryce. I went by Bryce. Okay. Well, that's not going to help me figure out what your real no, name is. No, it isn't. But we figured out, we can figure out. Okay, give this... me some clues. What do I find? What do um, I look for? You, oh, what are some of the questions that we asked? Um, do you laugh when other people don't? No, so like, that, is that a good thing? That is a good thing. That really? means that you are sensitive to humor. If you find that you are the person who's laughing, but like no one else is laughing, you might be obnoxious and annoying. What but, if no one's in the room and you're doing that? Um, depends on if something funny actually happened. We did make sure to... Uh, screen out uh, any schizophrenia. We have to make sure that there has that's to be good. something funny actually oh, happening. Good. Not not the people who are just walking and just like, <laughs> at nothing. Yeah. yeah, that's weird. That's really kind of terrifying. Yeah. I was walking around campus the other day and some guy just started laughing out of nowhere. Well, maybe I, he was I, just I having by. a thought, you know. Maybe. Sometimes maybe. you just have happy thoughts. Or he could have been uh, a little, he might have needed to see a doctor. Yeah. So he would not have been part of your study. Uh, what's another thing we look for? Anything else? Oh, what's another big one? Um, are they smarter? Oh, I don't know. You haven't we gotten didn't, that far. We, we needed more subjects. Because so it didn't seems screen like the there's, there's a certain level of like thought. So you almost, maybe they have to be aware. Maybe they have to be. Here's, here's one thing I do know about humor. All right. Uh, you know how a joke will be funny. Mm-hmm. And then when you hear it again, it's not funny. One of the theories behind it is that we humor is when you make you laugh at something. You find something funny when you make a connection uh-huh. that you never expected to make. It was that little shock. It's that learning. Oh, I put two and two together and it was five instead of four. (laughs) And you're like, ha, that's funny. But then you already learned it. And so when you hear it again, that's why you're kind of like, yeah, I heard that. That wasn't funny. That's why I think this show's funny. So people who learn more generally are more sensitive to humor. That I do know. That's interesting. Well, um, not that you're not an expert. I am an expert. Well, you are because you're published. We're going to bring, you know, I don't know if you know this either, but I'm a doctor. You are a doctor. So we're going to bring on, you know, 
someone really in the know. Not that you're not. Dr. Peter McGraw is going to be joining us. He's been all over this humor thing, and he's going to educate us, give us some tools, some insight into what is funny and why. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with some tools and ideas right after this break, right here on BYU Radio. back everybody to the matt townsend show today we're talking humor do you have any have you ever met somebody that just didn't seem to get it uh maybe today is the day we're going to figure out why that happens what makes things funny what uh you know where's the fine line between the humor and the hurt questions like that we wanted to get into it i found just in my own life you know being able to laugh or find the funny seems to help the world go round. So our great guest today, Dr. Peter McGraw, is joining us. He is a professor at the University of Colorado Boulder. He's an expert in the interdisciplinary fields of emotion and behavioral decision theory. Uh, By the way, his Ph.D. is in quantitative psychology from Ohio State University, and he's a postdoctoral training was conducted at Princeton's Woodrow Wilson School. This is my favorite thing of all of his, uh, his bio. You ready for this? He is the director of Humor Research Lab, also known as HURL, (laughs) a laboratory dedicated to the experimental study of humor. He's been studying this for years. He has been on every big uh, station you can imagine trying to teach us, you know, more about humor and life. And um, this is also essential because I don't want to overlook this. Uh, Dr. McGraw may not be the best dressed guy. But he pandered his way onto 2012's most stylish scientist list. He came in at number 14, which is phenomenal when you realize he was just two slots behind Bill Nye, the science guy. So this guy is a sportinate, hot, stylish-looking scientist, and he understands humor. Dr. McGraw, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, thank you very much. You 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 folks do your homework. I know. We you should see. And by the way, you've got your you're about two weeks late on a bill at home for your uh, water bill. Anyway, we know uh, a lot about you, Peter. <laughs> so how do you get in? How do you get into humor? I mean, what drew? What took you there? You know, it was really happenstance. Uh, I wish th- I wish that I could say that I. Uh, that I recognized early on in my career that this was a really important question and that I, that I had to pursue it. But, yeah. but really what happened was I was faced with a question in a talk about humor. People were laughing at something that, that I didn't intend for them to laugh about. <laughs> yeah. You're like, Did I do something wrong? Yeah. And I had, so I used an example that I, that I thought people would see as a moral violation. Uh-huh. And, uh, and the room cracked up and someone said, <laughs> you know, Pete, you say that things that are morally wrong are anger-inducing or disgusting, and yet we're laughing. We're, we're experiencing positive emotion. Why is that the case? Huh. There you have it. And, I, yeah, at that point I've been studying, studying emotion, decision-making, for more than 10 years. I had never read a paper. I had never even thought about the question. And so I was just stumped. That's fascinating. And, and just got drawn into it all. And then you became a comedian. Well, I, I've... <laughs> I mean, that was the birth of your comedy act. 
you know, so I, I, I did get pulled into that world. Um, I, I actually got pulled into the world by a journalist. Oh, uh, really? So, uh, yeah, Joel Warner, he's a, he's a Denver-based journalist. He, he decided to write about the Humor Research Lab and about the theory that I was testing. And he challenged me to use this theory to critique the comedians at the, at the roughest open mic in Denver, <laughs> the Squire Lounge. Yeah. And, and in a moment of hubris, you got I said, it. well, why don't I get on stage and tell some jokes? How hard could this be? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> Just go throw in a moral dilemma. <laughs> and uh, I should have used that, actually. That would have got, got much bigger <laughs>, laughs than the jokes that I told. Oh, really? Yeah, indeed. So I, I, I bombed. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, you know, actually, in hindsight, it was really a very good thing for me. Uh, and that is that I believe that, that you need science, that you need places like Hurl right. to understand complex topics but it also helps to see them in the real world to yeah. see them in all their in their glory and so so i actually joined forces with joel you know we hit it off and we launched the humor code and we traveled the world to try to answer this question what makes things funny really okay so great what what'd you find out it's not just clown nose right and groucho marx glasses yeah, glasses um although we did choose those for the book cover oh you did we do have we have a so the book cover features a globe with um, Groucho Marx glasses on it, uh, which is mildly amusing. Oh, for sure, you get a little <laughs> uh, guffaw. Yeah, you got to just you get a little chortle on it. That's good. Indeed, yeah, that's exactly it. So we we um, we had well we had a great adventure, and what we did was uh, we te- we we sort of observed things in the world. We met larger than life characters. We we looked at not only stand up comedy but sketch sketch comedy, political. Um, Political humor, we looked for humor where you least expected. We traveled to, to Palestine, to the West Bank. Huh. We traveled to Scandinavia and examined the Muhammad cartoon controversy to look at the dark yeah. side of humor. We went to Amazon, Amazon with Patch Adams to wow. look at does humor heal. And all along the way, we were testing this, this theory, the benign violation theory, back in the lab and seeing is it holding up in the real world and is it holding up you know, to the experimentation that, that – uh, did you did you validate your hypothesis? Well, I you know I I like to say that the idea that so first of all the, the idea that humor comes from benign violations is is a relatively is a, is a new way to talk about an old idea. Okay, so, maybe explain that benign violations. Yeah, so the so the benign violation theory proposes that humor occurs when when there's there's two judgments that that someone makes. The first judgment is that there's something wrong, something unsettling, something that threatens the way the world ought to be. Okay. A violation. Um, but, of course, the things that are wrong and unsettling about the way the world, uh, the way, the, you know, what you're experiencing in the world, usually create negative emotions. They don't, they don't make us laugh. Yeah, you think you'd be scared. Yeah, they make us scared. They disgust us. They make us uncomfortable. They embarrass us. There needs to be another another perception there, and that is that that thing that seems wrong is, is actually okay, acceptable, or safe. Okay. And so you get this reversal, so when violations are seen as benign, you have this potentially negative arousal that gets switched, and laughter indicates to others that this, this situation is that seems wrong is actually okay. Huh. So it's, it's, a, uh, it's an expectation. I guess that's why irony is kind of funny, because you know or or saying something that was totally unexpected it can startle us but then 
it didn't kill us, so it's good. Yeah, so it has. So, so the the uh, the most common explanation for what makes things funny is this idea that it arises from some form of incongruity, uh-huh. a violation of expectation, sometimes resolved, sometimes not. The, the benign violation theory is, is not is not totally inconsistent with that idea, but it but it's a broader idea, and the reason is. Sometimes our expectations are violated positively. So winning the lottery is, yeah. is incongruous. I'd laugh. <laughs> well, but most people, are, they, <laughs> they feel happy about it. Okay, you know? yeah. Um, and a lot of things uh, that people don't laugh at are also incongruous, right? So, um, you know, accidentally hurting someone that you care about. Yeah, someone and falling so, downstairs. Uh, and there's nothing okay about that. So, so what we find is that, that, that this approach explains a lot more of the things that we laugh about, explains things like puns and wordplay, mm-hmm. which violate the way you're, you should be using language while also making sense from another perspective. That's, it, it seems, um, it's interesting because a lot of people just laugh, and most people, Peter, aren't thinking about it like this. No, that's right, and I had never either. I mean, I, I enjoy a good joke as, as much as the next person really value humor in my life, and yet I had never really thought about uh, why I'm laughing or how I could laugh more. As the science of it. Do, do you notice that you can, by knowing like a theory like this, that if we, if we just, um, if if we can point out an incongruity that's not harmful or is actually pleasant or positive, do you do you sense that you could actually become better at being funny by doing it? Or is it just, is it too heady? You can't, I mean, is this more of like a, it should be natural. You just got to roll with the humor. Yeah. So I think um, uh, I should recruit you to Hurl. And, and the reason that I should have you work in Hurl is that's, that's our next, that's our next step. That's oh, I would love that. That'd be cool. Channel. I want to be a part of Hurl. And so, so the, so we, you know, we're careful. We don't use the word incongruity in part because the people um, who do research in this area uh, you yeah. know, make this distinction. They're but, purists, yeah. But yeah, but I, but a benign violation approach, I think, is useful, and mm. I'll, I'll I'll tell you how. Yeah. So, so let's step back for a moment. One thing is that benign that a benign violation account and not an incongruity account uh, will explain the two ways that humor fails. So when I got on stage at the Squire with Joel in the audience, my jokes were too benign. They, they too, didn't have too nice. violations for the the angry comics and the hipster dirtbags in the <laughs> audience. Yeah, and so I bored the audience. I didn't I didn't enrage them. They just politely turned their attention to each other and started to talk. This guy's boring. <laughs> did they talk amongst themselves? They did exactly. <laughs> you just stood there. And as a and as a you know as a professor at the local university, I probably would have had to ramp up the violations. Yeah. So far, that I that I would have made the crowd laugh, but to the administrators at the university, right. nothing would have been okay about right. it. Tenure would be shot. Exactly, and I would have failed in terms of not being finding a way to make these jokes okay. <laughs> so, a so quandary the idea that, that humor can fail in two ways also also suggests that humor can succeed in two ways that you can take what we call the Seinfeld strategy. So Jerry Seinfeld, yeah. in, his, in his show about nothing and in his stand-up, he, he is 
really very good at taking a situation that seems okay, that's benign, that's normal, and pointing at what's wrong with it. Yeah, like how ridiculous it looks if you look at it. Exactly. But it, but it's that's normal, right? And uh-huh. so he finds a way to weave this in. And so when Jerry Seinfeld fails at a joke, he he – he, he gets a pallid, neutral reaction. People aren't outraged about his joke. Hmm. That's right. The, the other strategy, and, and this relates to what you were talking about earlier in terms of having bad things happen to you and yeah. using humor to cope, is to take the violations in the world, take the things that are wrong, and find a way to make them okay. Hmm. We call this the, the Silverman strategy, after Sarah Silverman. Yeah, okay. Why? Because she talks about the hardships of her life? Well, because basically every time Sarah Silverman gets on stage, she commits a hate crime. <laughs> that's true. She says something that's potentially offensive, sexist, racist, anti-Semitic, whatever yeah. it may be. But she manages to do it in this really clever way, <laughs> this non-threatening way that somehow makes it okay, at least with regard to the type of people who sort of like Sarah Silverman. It's so true, huh? So they're the mundane, the worldly, a, a, a Seinfeld approach or a Sarah Silverman approach. Right. And, and both of them recognize what, what Mark Twain uh, uh, famously said, and that is that the secret source of humor is not joy, it's sorrow. There is no humor in heaven. Because heaven's perfect, because there's nothing wrong with heaven, it's a wonderful place to be, but it's not necessarily a place that you're going to do a lot of laughing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you if, if you could get up there and really, wrong. yeah, if you could be human in heaven, that'd be funny. <laughs> that, that's probably true, yeah. That's the hard part, though, isn't it? <laughs> How fascinating. Oh, man. You don't want to, yesterday in the show, we had a good friend of mine, uh, Mike Schlappy, who was shot as a teenager, and it paralyzed him. Okay. And so, by the way, tragic, right? So there's the, but then some of his humor, the stuff and again, it's stuff he can get away with, kind of like Sarah Silverman can get away with certain things. Um, he can say things because he's in a wheelchair that you just can't say if you're not in a wheelchair. But it's funny, and it, it is this very fact was being proven in our show yesterday. Oh, that's yeah, that's interesting. I mean, one of the things that I didn't well, so uh, along the humor code travels. One of the things that that uh, that Joel challenged me to do is that when our travels came to an end, that I would have to get on stage again. Oh, boy. And prove that we've learned something. So uh, become a better comic. Yeah. And uh, I, can't, I can't give it all away because I have a book that, that I want you to read. Cool. But I can tell you that, um, that one of the tricks that I learned, that the next time you see a stand-up comic or a really funny person, uh, they often very early on, make fun of something that's wrong with themselves. Hmm. So, uh, so the reason I made this stylish scientist list was I'm, I wear a sweater vest. Yeah. I love the sweater vest. Well, it, it's, it's flashy. <laughs> it, it works. You know, you look like a scientist. When <laughs> you, you totally wear a do. Vest. Well, and, or Mr. Rogers. <laughs> that's, yeah. Well, no, he's no, a cardigan. Oh, that's right. And nothing wrong with that. No, no, no. Someone else on the list, I'm sure, wears a cardigan. Oh, for sure. It's but very I said, smart. When I got up on stage, I said, I've learned that it's important to get a laugh right away, which is why I wore this sweater vest. <laughs> How'd that go? It did. It was one of my better. It was one of my better. Did they jokes. love it. They ate it up. Yeah. And so, it, you know, when you're willing to say bad things about yourself, that helps make them okay. 
And then it also gives you some license to, to point out the other things that are wrong in the world. Love it. We're talking with Dr. Peter McGraw. He's teaching us what makes something funny. Uh, we're going to take a break. We'll come right back. He, he's going to give us the fine line between uh, humor and hurt, though. you got to watch it. And you can't just pull it off with a sweater every time. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, uh, that's the hoedown music, which means we're wrapping up this first hour. Today we're talking about humor, and we've got uh, a professor of humorology. I just made that up. Dr. Peter McGraw is joining us, professor at the University of Colorado Boulder and uh, the director of the Humor Research Lab, also known as HURL, which is a laboratory dedicated to the experimental study of humor. Uh, I, you can't say, every time you say hurl, Peter, I laugh. <laughs> that makes me happy. Because you have a nice acronym, which perfectly, it's a visceral kind of a potty talk. Mm-hmm. And it, and it just makes my funny bone laugh. Yeah. I like to think of it as a nice example of a benign violation. Yep. Yeah. It seems academic. It seems so mm-hmm. when you just say the humor research lab, also known as hurl. Uh, Yeah. And then I just can only imagine that coupled with your sweater vest. And I think, boom, boom, you know, right, right, left, right, left, knockout. Um, So Peter is he's been all over television, radio. He's he's almost a stand up comedian, Um, but he's been studying humor and he's been teaching us about the benign violation where we violate a. a concept, I guess. We violate some an expectation, and when we find out that the violation was wasn't deadly, traumatic, dramatic, it ends up creating humor. Yeah, you did a good job. Oh, that's hard to B explain. Plus. I give you a B plus. That's see, that's why I need to be a member of Hurl. <laughs> I know. Actually, I think Hurl just tweeted at you to join. Oh boy! If I only knew how to do that. I'd be all over it. I'll get on it. But answer me this, because there's been some crazy news about a woman uh, over Halloween who dressed up. Now, because th- that's the interesting thing about Halloween, it's a great chance for benign violations. That's like, holiday for benign violations. Yeah. Except she blew it. It seems like she dressed up like the Bo- a Boston Marathon bombing victim. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. She was trying to be funny, but it got her in big trouble. Yeah, she. Uh, I heard she lost her job. Yeah. Over this. Isn't that, in, I mean, it was just a joke, mm-hmm. is what she'd say. What was the violation? Well, yeah, so this is a, this is a really fascinating topic. So, I, so um, if you could, you'd be better off interviewing Mark Twain about humor, because I think he's done some of the best thinking about it. He, he uh, is attributed as saying that, uh, humor is tragedy plus time. Ooh, yeah. That uh, that in the le- in the wake of of tragic, you know, of tragic events, that time allows people to sort of transform them into something that might be comedic. Yeah. And so, uh, so some people might say, is well, it's just too soon. You know, it's just too soon to to make light of this uh, this tragedy, this terrorist attack, and so on. 
But but and and research in the in the human research lab shows that actually that's that there is that's the case that um, the bigger the tragedy, the longer it takes to become okay to become a source of humor. The the smaller the tragedy, the quicker it happens, but then also the quicker it sort of falls off. Yeah. But the situation with this this young woman is uh, is more complex than that because she um, she failed at the Silverman strategy. And I think that the reason why that she failed was that she took aim at the victims. Okay, yeah. And she made fun of the victims. And, and that's really very difficult to do because it's hard to make it okay. Right. Right. These, these are victims who, are, who aren't, um, they, weren't, they didn't deserve this. Um, they're, they're, their suffering is very real. And so when you, when you try to make light of a tragedy and you, you do so at the expense of the victim, people don't like it. They don't see how it's okay. And in this case, they reacted. Hmm. I mean, they, you know, they came after her. People were outraged by this. It seems like Sarah can pull it off, too, because she, she gets to run the whole dialogue. You know, she gets to run all the context. She gets to keep adapting the concept, you know, in her bit. Yeah. But so in a weird way to make something funny, and I guess this is, seems like one of the art forms of a good comedian is th- they know how to do, work it. They've also worked it 30 times and they know that it has to be preceded by this, this and this. And you can fix it here and, you know, and adjust stuff. But, yeah, I think you're dead on. You can't go you can't attack a victim. And I guess that's where humor starts to cross the line, huh? When we're yeah. starting to really just try to hurt someone. Yeah, so we when uh, when Joel and I went, we went to New York to sort of try to understand how do you make funny for the masses? Yeah, you know how do you make something that that hits large groups of people? Because you know that that's a real challenge in being funny is that one what one person thinks is hysterical, another person is offended, and yet another person is like, "That's all you got? Yeah, you know, come on." <laughs> yeah, uh, we we met with folks um, who work for the Onion. Oh, love it. Uh, so the Onion, uh, you know, satirical newspaper, yeah. really tongue in cheek, cheek over the top. They did something that was incredible. After the World Trade Center bombing, about ten or eleven days afterwards, they ran an issue about nine eleven, very clearly in that too soon territory. Yeah, and yet people celebrated that issue. It's their most popular ever. Really. Issue. And the reason is they took aim at the terrorists. Okay. So they found ways to to take down the terrorists. So, for instance, uh, one of the headlines was, God angrily um, clarifies the no-kill rule. (laughs) Right? So so they stayed very far away from those, you know, touchy subjects. Yeah. They took took aim at it. And so um, uh, I have a comedian friend, Alonzo Bowden, very funny guy. And he has a great saying. He says, it's not too soon if it's funny. Yeah. You, you don't you can... need the distance. So the distance helps remove the threat, you know. Yeah. But, but if you're smart enough, you're clever enough, you hit it right, you can, be, you can do it. And this woman, unfortunately, did it. Well, and I've seen that at a, when we were young, we had a 19-year-old friend of ours that died, actually a 21-year-old friend that died. And we went to the mortuary for the you know, to see 
it was just such a horrible experience to just, okay, there's our dead friend, and we're trying to help each other mourn. But the family actually asked us to go just in a back room as a bunch of friends and just with a recorder tape record his funny stories of life. Mm. And we sat in the back of a mortuary and told funny stories of this guy. And it it was, it, you know, timing not good. But yeah, we were laughing, sure. and it was so healing. And even to this day, the family tell me every birthday they listen to that tape, and they said it's the number one thing that helps us heal. That's a re- that's really touching story. And it's um, powerful, amazing stuff. We, uh, we're going to take a break. We're talking to the, the great uh, comedic professor, Dr. Peter McGraw. Uh, two words you don't hear side by side. <laughs> comedic professor, Dr. Peter McGraw. We're going to take a break and come back, and he's going to give us kind of some, some what to do, some tips to make it through uh, healthy humor. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Hey kids, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side, trying to give you some tools in life to make it through this crazy thing we call life. And on today's show, we've got a great uh, coach walking us through the funnies. Um, Dr. Peter McGraw is joining us. He's a professor at University of Colorado Boulder, which, if you remember, is the town where Mork from Ork used to live. If Am I correct there, Peter? That's right. I actually used to live two doors down from the from the Mork house, the Mork and Mindy house. Really? Yeah, it's, it's, it, it still looks exactly the same. Did you ever see Mork or Mindy? <laughs> I wish. I think he spends more time in L.A. these days. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, hold on. If you were an alien, where would you go? I'm not sure I'd go to Boulder. Boulder's... Boulder's already weird enough. You go to L.A. Yeah, that's right. Or uh, you go down to uh, New Mexico, Roswell. (laughs) Um, So joining us, Peter McGraw is here. Again, tons of training from postdoctoral work at Princeton in the Woodrow Wilson School, Ph.D. in psychology from Ohio State, quantitative psychology, so you know he knows his numbers. And um, he's the director of HURL. Humor Research Lab, a laboratory dedicated to the experimental study of humor. Uh, by the way, Peter, um, one of our uh, one of our producers is going to send you. He just published research, real time, big league research on a humor study they've been doing at BYU. Really, he's sending it to you. All right, check him out, Bryce. We don't know his middle name, Tobin. It's kind of not trustworthy, but. Um, we're trying to figure it out. If you can get his middle name, I will do something really special for Hurl. All right. That, that's a deal. We'll do a win-win. So t- teach us some more here, Peter. When um, We've talked kind of about you know, the violation. You, you don't want to offend people. You don't want to hurt people. You, you kind of need to violate in a, in a good way, a benign way, uh, someone's expectation, and that's that's kind of what creates the humor. Is it? By the way, is it? Um, it seems like a lot of times we laugh. We're just kind of uh, nervous laughing. Yeah. Is there a difference between like the benign violation laughter and when someone's just nervous? You know, I I like to think that the answer is no to that question. Hmm. 
um, that the idea that people laugh in sort of uncomfortable situations, uh, I think that's a really, that's actually consistent with the idea that those uncom- the thing that's making you uncomfortable, uh, I think is often the source of the laughter. But the, the, the difference is that you, you feel like you shouldn't be laughing. Yeah. And so then as a result, you feel embarrassed by the fact that you're finding something funny in a situation that you ought not to find funny. So you, you're worried about what this says about you or what other people will think about you. Peter, we're so neurotic. We worry a lot about what other people think. But I guess that's what makes us funny. Well, I, yeah, I mean, there is a, there is a long history of, uh, of comedians. You know, think about like a Woody Allen type comedian who, who finds ways to take that neuroticism and, and make it into amuse, amusement. Yeah. Is it teachable? Like, I mean, I, I notice my kids, and I'm not saying I'm funny, but I, I tend to say stuff. I mean, I tend to tease with my kids more, and they they actually have real a really good sense of humor. And one of them just has an incredible sense of humor. So when they go over and they're talking to adults, adults love them, and and they're witty. And are, are we born with kind of this? Is this something we learn? Is it a coping trait? What is it? Yeah, they're. This is a really tough question, um, and I think that psychology in general has to deal with this kind of question. Like, to what degree is something nurtured, and, and to what degree is it, na- is it nature that you're born that way? I think a lot of funny people like to think that they're born that way because it helps them feel better about right. it. Right. But even those very funny people, you know, the world's best comedians, actually take many, many years honing their craft. What I think is the case is that if you want to raise funnier kids, uh, is to is to show that that humor is a valuable thing, that it's something to be encouraged, that it's uh, that it's designed that it's supposed to be playful, yeah. that it's okay to fail, to create some safe place, that um, especially children, right, because they're not as adept socially, they're just still figuring things out, right, that. Uh, that you value it as parents. So parents that value humor are likely to develop children who are funny because it becomes part of their repertoire. It becomes a skill that they can, that they can try and do, and they're encouraged to try, and it's okay to fail at trying yeah. that. And, and as we established earlier in our conversation, there's a risk. They may fall on the violation side sometimes. Yeah. Oh, I remember doing and don't like when you do that and you're sensitive enough, that's hot. You hurt like that. Oh, boy, mm-hmm. I shouldn't have said that. Mm-hmm. Stupid. Yeah, that's real. Yeah. That's and how I went I through think- high school. Like that, I guess that was me fine tuning my horrible sarcasm. But um, you step on people. And I guess that's how you learn to reel it in and, and learn to walk that line. And and to find what works for you. Yeah. I, I have a very controversial opinion. And that is, I think everybody's funny. Yeah. But it's just that they're, they're funny in ways that other people can't see or understand. Interesting. And so they, maybe they're funny in their writing, or maybe they're funny in their thoughts, or maybe they, they're funny in the sense that they have a good sense of humor, that they appreciate certain, mm-hmm. certain types of comedy. And just because you or I don't appreciate that or like it, doesn't mean that they don't or shouldn't. Yeah. And so with the exception of, of, you know, a few poor souls who are deeply depressed (laughs) or in pain and misery, most people find a way to laugh, at least occasionally, even if it's not at the same thing. Hmm. 
Well, that's kind of hopeful, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that, that I really love studying this topic in part because uh, you have to acknowledge the risks, but with, you know, with great risk come great reward. That you can really help people live a, a happier life, a, a life with better relationships and so on, if they can sort of understand this mysterious thing a little bit more. I, I love it, too, because it, um, it's one thing you can actually share with people, too. I mean, your humor can be shared. You know, just that look that you can give someone else at the right time. But it's, it, there's something bonding. There's something connecting. There's something that makes us more of a community yeah. when you can share it, especially when it's not violating. It's right. huge. In the, in the humor code, we write about this. We, we talk about how a good – you know, so when people are dating, when people are looking for a life partner, the top three is good sense of humor. Really? More than abs? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because – yeah, because you can still have your your good sense of humor in your seventies. Yeah, that's good. you can carry your <laughs> you can carry it longer. And uh, and it really makes it makes sense. And th- and that is that that if you and your partner make each other laugh, you bring more uh, joy to each other's lives. Hmm. If you're good at creating benign violations, it means that you're good at taking the things that are wrong in the world and finding a way to make them okay which makes the world a better place. Yeah, coping, right? And then lastly, it's just an indicator. If two people laugh at the same things, it means that they see the world in similar ways. And when you see the world in similar ways, you're likely to get, get along, even when things get a little tough. You, you know what? I can see that when I'm coaching couples and working with couples. Some, you know, one of the signs is their, their timing is horrible. <laughs> They're not together. They're not on the same joke. Yes, or they, or they use... They use humor to hurt yeah. rather than to heal. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, give us some tips. What are some things we should be doing? Now, again, remember, Peter, you're, A, an academic. You've been to Princeton, for heaven's sakes, and you've you've done the tour, the comedy okay. tour. Yeah. So for the rest of us that are just regular folk, what could we do? What are the things we should watch out for to be okay. funnier? So. So the first thing that I think is this idea of trying is that that um, to make it a more uh, consistent part of your your interactions, your repertoire, is that um, to in some way say, uh, you know, I do this with my lectures sometimes. Like I, I'm going to tell tell at least three jokes. You know, I make it some, a goal for me to try to pursue this thing. Really, yeah. So you actually overtly, I mean, in your head, you're like, okay, I'm going to try to more to introduce more humor into my life. Absolutely. I like that. Yeah, and so just trying, you know, because humor, because most things aren't funny, trying more is you're going to hit yeah. more often. Yeah. The, the next thing that I'd, li- I'd like to say is, is seek out the thing that's wrong. So when you're, when you're looking, when you want to be funnier, the source, the thing is that thing that's potentially uncomfortable. Hmm. You know, that, the thing that seems wrong seems amiss. And zero in on that. That's going to be your best source. See, but that's, see, everyone else is like, whoa, whoa. That's the third rail, man. Mm-hmm. Don't go near that. That's know, where people that's die. Challenge. Yeah. And, and I think my third piece of advice, though, helps mitigate that challenge. Okay. And that's surround yourself by people that you think are funny. And who think you're funny. So the people who bring you up 
not the people who bring you down. Oh. The people who are light on their feet. Yeah. You know, and so then all of a sudden, now you have this perfect storm. You're trying, you're finding the violations to make benign, and you have an audience who's going to play along with you. Yeah. And, and that, I think that's a much better way to live a more humorous life than trying to watch more sitcoms or go to more stand-up comedy shows. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, make it part of your routine and, and, and seek out those people who, who are going to... You could just memorize a, a comedian's set, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just start, hey, did you hear this one? Um, what, what do you think? Because it also seems like some of us are such downers that we just – so your second one uh, or your third one, surround yourself with people that think you're funny. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, oh, that was totally wrong. That was rude. And they're they're not seeing the benign – violation they're just critiquing you because socially you you know you walk yeah. the line too close i guess I, one rule is we don't want to do that to people we don't want to oppress right humor i'm quick to apologize what like when you violate yeah i, I do I, i'm very like so so what happens i think it, what happens is sometimes people want to say oh it's just a joke or yeah relax so sensitive. yeah you defend it yeah, you you know you get defensive and so on. I think that the best way to deal with it is just to say, "I I was trying to be funny. I'm sorry. You know, I I apologize." How about this? I'm sorry you're so uptight. <laughs> yeah. Does that work? <laughs> I mean, you're the pro, dude. Help yeah, us. That's uh, I mean, but because the thing is, this is that I am, you know, I'm the funny professor to some of my students. Yeah, some think you're a bore, but some of them are like this guy. But they're a jerk, really. and you know what? Fail them. Give him an F. Yeah, but I yeah. So I um I, I I think it's fine to apologize. I mean, I think apologizing is healthy when you really you know when you're contrite. When you're I love that. It's um so one thing too I guess is so the trying part of the trying if you're a parent and you want to get a little more humor in your life or your children's lives I guess create the space where they can try mm-hmm. and even help them point out you know, what's wrong, the uncomfortable, benign violations. I I remember literally having a conversation with my family. I didn't use your language because, you know, I'm I'm not that smart. You're not a nerd. I'm not. I don't even have a sweater vest. I used to. I do have a pocket protector, though. Well, when the book comes out, the sweater vest is going to be big. When's the book coming out, by the way? Uh, April Fool's Day next year. Perfect. Did you? That was just happenstance. You know, we have a smart editor. That's very smart. Yeah. Humor code. Um, but you can teach kids this. I just told my kids, look, guys, it's kind of when they – it's the opposite. If when if all of a sudden you're saying – you end up saying something that they didn't expect you to say, that little shock is going to create some humor. Mm-hmm. But my kids were eating that up, and then we yeah. just talked about, you know, talked about that. You can teach this concept. Now, it doesn't even, even need to be heady. I guess it no. just – No. You it, know, one of the quickest – I think easiest ways to do this is you can do it at the dinner table mm. where you're not teaching what uh, makes things funny, but you're just asking your kids to reflect on what was funny. Love it. Just so, a question. Uh, Hurl, is, Hurl is, is starting to do research on what they call uh, Wyla and Wola. <laughs> you guys need less. You need fewer acronyms. <laughs> so Wyla is what I laughed at, and Wola is what others laughed at. 
Oh, wow. And it's this reflective task at the end of the day, what I laughed at and why, what others laughed at and why. Love it. And, and that's a good way to, to start the conversation because then you start to introspect a little bit and then you start to pay attention to it more. That is – okay, That you just made my dinner right there. That's what we're talking about tonight. Wyla and Wola. Okay, you got to answer us one more question here. Uh, okay. Answer us. I feel, I feel like I'm anyway. Uh, Dr. Peter McGraw, what's the one thing? So if you and you can repeat yourself, but if we went back, what's the one key to, um, I guess, opening yourself up to allowing more humor into your life? You just got one. The one, one thing, thing makes the big difference. Uh, yeah, I think I think I'm going to go back to try. Yeah, it just has to be something that that ends up being uh, a goal. It's something that's important. You know, life gets busy, it gets stressful, it gets serious, and uh, and it cra- those kinds of thoughts will crowd out the kind of playfulness that we need around the dinner table with a colleague, with someone who needs our help. Yeah, and so if you can make that idea of make it that habit, uh, then all of a sudden I think it'll, it'll follow. Love it. Appreciate you. Dr. Uh, Peter McGraw, again, you can find out more if you go to Peter M, oh, no, PeterMcGraw.org. PeterMcGraw.org. He's got a blog. He's got a bunch of stuff you can look at, read, learn. He's got a book coming out, Humor Code, which will be on April Fool's Day, 2014. And go check him out on Twitter. I'm going to go find you as soon as I can. All right. And then we'll start hanging. We'll start hanging out and hurl. I'll see you on the Twitter sphere. Yeah. (laughs) Rock on. Hey, and keep rocking those sweaters. Okay. Thank you, doctor. The world needs it. We're going to take a break. What a cool guy. I want to be cool like Peter. Seriously, smart, good looking, funny. Two, only two seats lower than Bill Nye the Science Guy in Best Dressed Scientist. You love it. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. We've got another good doctor. Man, today is the doctor fest. Doctors left and right. By the way, and I have forgotten to have any of my moles checked. James, will you remind me before uh, Dr. Paul Jenkins leaves? I've got some moles I need to have checked. Um, Joining us right now, Dr. Paul Jenkins from drpauljenkins.com. He is the author. He's the blogger. uh, What do they call him? Um, Podcaster, Live on Purpose. They keep calling you an author. That's not (laughs) an – you didn't write that. Well, the book. The book's coming. Is coming. When is that? Uh, January release. Really? Yeah. So is we're just the greatest day. We're ever. like two months out. Yeah. So you're. Well, let's just say you're seven mm-hmm. months pregnant. Okay. You're I'm, ready to. I'm deliver. working with you here. Okay. You with me? Mm-hmm. Have you had an ultrasound? Uh, yeah, and it's looking good. Does it look good? Very promising. Yes. Boy or girl? It's. Uh, it's exactly what it is. We don't know, do we? <laughs> Isn't it exciting? You're going to be an author. I am an author, man. Well, well, I mean, but you're going to be another author. But the, but the book is coming. Yeah. Yeah, that's exciting. We've talked about that 
uh, before on the yeah, show. That was good. Pathological positivity. You know what? My wife listens to my show. She's one of the three. Congratulations. She loves it. That's what we talk about all night. But she says, <laughs> didn't you already have, didn't, are they replaying your show? And I'm like, no, they're not replaying. They, I mean, sometimes they'll, they'll replay parts of my show. But yeah. I'm like, no. She goes, because it seems like they have that guy that does the pee thing. He does that. It's like all the time. Every time. So when you started that, I'm like, ah, oh, great. Now my wife's going to kill me. Yeah, I won't do the pee thing today. Do you find yourself to be a humorous person, Paul? Um, you know what? My daughter rolls her eyes frequently. Then you are. How old is she? Mm-hmm. She's 16. Yep. You're hilarious. <laughs> I you am. can get a teenager and to roll I their eyes, I am. you are hilarious. They don't have a clue. That's the thing that, that really tickles her. That <laughs> yeah. She's I like, get Dad, it. She does you it don't sometimes. Have a clue. What? Um, what? And we don't only have a couple minutes, and then we're going to bring you back, and then get in deep into your subject. Okay. Um, okay. So here you are, clinical psychologist, marriage and family guy. You've helped thousands and tens of billions of people. Billions of them. Mm-hmm. What does humor have to do with health and and life? Ah. Because you've seen people that were so contorted in their thinking. and Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, we take ourselves far too seriously. Uh, yeah, totally. And when you can lighten up, find some humor, it it changes everything. It, it, and it does just psychologically, do you think? Or is it, what does it yeah, do? Yeah, but really? that's where it starts. Yeah. Because if you change things psychologically. Yeah, you've talked about this. You're going to go out and change your behaviors, too. Yeah, yeah. But that'll uh, flow you feel from your psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Thoughts, feelings, actions. Yeah. It's a cognitive triad. Yeah. And those things are so interrelated, we can't pull them apart, really. Mm. So you affect one, you affect all the others. Humor well, is a powerful tool to do that. Well, and it was fun talking to um, Dr. McGraw earlier because most of us don't actually think about our humor. Right. So when he gets all cognitive about it and has you start thinking that it's a benign violation, so it's where you, where you violate an expectation but really no mm-hmm. one died and it's funny, <laughs> that's, that's it's where humor pretend. comes from. But mm-hmm. we don't think about our humor, but I guess that's kind of like our psyche. We don't think about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. We don't think about a lot of our feelings. We just kind of well, go right. with the feeling. It's, it's all automatic. It's programmed in. Yeah. So, and this is the level where we, when we change things at that level— Things really begin to start cooking in our it lives. Real. It really does, and and it feels better, right? Some some understanding of it is helpful because it gives you more conscious control over it. Yeah, but most things we just run through automatically. Yeah. The the fact that we're speaking English here today. Hold on, are we? Well, I guess we yeah. are, and it's obvious, but unnoticed, right? Until we stop and pay attention to yeah. it. So in the same way as you track. How you're analyzing your life, and do you have a sense of humor about this? Or are you yeah. getting all tied up Wound in knots up. about yeah. it? I've if you're not thought. having fun, you're doing it wrong. Okay, See, that's why you're here, Paul <laughs> Jenkins. Doctor Paul is here. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to then dive more into this. Doctor Paul is going to get us thinking. Uh, you know, trying to understand better how our thinking happy thoughts might lead to feeling happy feelings. Might even get us to do something different. We're going to take a break. Matt Townsend Show right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, kiddos, to the funniest show on earth, because we're talking about humor today. We're learning a lot. You know, it's not just enough to see someone get hurt, because that's not benign humor. That's tragedy. Benign humor is if they survive the fall down the stairs. (laughs) <laughs> I guess. Then you feel better about it, and then you can laugh. We're joined today by a good friend, Dr. Paul Jenkins. And Dr. Paul, you can find him at drpauljenkins.com. He has his own podcast, Live on Purpose, and a book coming out in January called Live on Purpose. Is that right? Called Pathological Positivity. No, really, you're calling it that? <laughs> I thought you were really joking about that. You're really going to call it the PP. <laughs> that means every time yeah. you're on the show, we're going to pitch well, Because it's PP. funnier, right? Yeah, it is. Pathological Purpose. Really? Pathological positivity. Yeah. I'm going to write. I'm writing it down right now. It won't matter because then I will put it in that thing right there and then no one will see it again. And then I'll just remind you the next time. Pathological positivity. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So it's, that which ties into positivity humor. And humor. Yeah, because it's the whole idea of pathological positivity is to insist on finding the upsides. Yeah. The positive, the the uplifting part. That's what he said. He said, so to be funny, we go in and you take a situation that is extreme. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, imagine everyone in your office is mad about this one person. Mm-hmm. So a humorous moment would be a moment that would be a positive-ish slant on the obvious pain. Right. Kind of slant that no one's ever thought of, or a position, or a something that violates your expectation. Yeah, yeah. We we go through life with these expectations and predictions of what's coming. And you you've taught us before on the show. We tend to predict pretty poorly. It, it depends not, on what you practice, really. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if we're positive, we might self fulfill positively. But as far mm-hmm. as like we think. Being, if we were a millionaire, we know we'd be happier. Oh yeah, and you would be probably for ninety days. Mm. But apparently, the research shows then you'd just be really rich. You, you'd be the same person, but we're sure we'd be, we'd be happy with a different account yeah. balance. Yeah. Or if we hit, we were, if we were a different size, because if we were a different size, we then know we'd be we'd happy. Be happy. Mm-hmm. And again, apparently not. That's right. You'd be a different size, though. I think. Um, I think Sean Acor is on to it. He, he's an educator out of Harvard. He wrote a book called The Happiness Advantage. Mm. And we've is that known, the study that everyone's talking about? It's like a 75-year study? Is that from Well, that? there's all kinds of studies that are referenced in this book. Okay. And it, and it all centers around this idea of happiness and success. We've known forever that happiness and success are correlated. Yeah. There's a correlation. And we've made the error, I think, traditionally or culturally that, oh, well, therefore, when I'm successful, I'll be happy. There we go. It'll happen. Because successful people are happy. Sure. And that is true, actually. By the way, uh, happy people are also successful. Well, that's what Sean is showing in his book. He says, we've got it backwards. Oh, It's go not for that happy success first. brings happiness. It's not, that yeah. happiness brings success. So that's the same, though. Richness doesn't bring it. Body doesn't bring it. In fact, you're more likely to have those things if you're happy. Hmm. 
So we got it backwards. Yeah. Well, don't you think that we really would? I mean, but no, but really, Paul, really, mm. Mm. we would be. Ha- I want to be happy. Believe me. Okay. No one wants to be happier than me. However, uh, my partner is messed up. Right. So when we find the right partner and get the marriage fixed, then, then be happier. you'll be happy. You're not buying that. I'm not buying it. Yeah, I think you're right. Because I've seen in my clientele, for example, I have seen people who by any measure you want to choose are successful. Yeah. Financially, in relationships, whatever it is. And they'll all tell you that the happiness comes first. The mindset comes first. The attitude comes first. And then you can create those other measures of happiness through that. Well, what if they're an NFL athlete? Because once you're in the NFL, Mm -hmm. it's got to be easier to be happy. You think? (laughs) Isn't it funny? It's just it never ends, does it? We all have these. What is that? So what makes us keep. We you, we hear the study. You'll tell us that happiness breeds success. Why would we, if we even intuitively sense that, why do we keep mm-hmm. lying to ourselves? Why do we keep sabotaging this happiness pattern? You know what, Matt? I think it's part of a victim mindset. Hmm. Where it, and it's a natural thing. It's not like evil that we do right, this, right. but welcome to earth right. this well, is part of human it's also psychology. our parents though they actually did it to us which started this there you go the it's their fault yeah. after all back at it yeah. right and that's the that's the whole victim mindset yeah. where we're looking for a place to to put the blame yeah, park it uh, so that we can point it's not my fault no you're Look, a, I'm that's a good what's person. causing my, right. my misery right there and when that gets fixed then i can be happy and it seems like part of our mind loves that so it just can kind of Couch it. So there it is. The little, you're a victim. Well, you're off the hook. Yeah. The problem is that you also don't have any power there. Yeah. You can't play it both ways, right? You yeah. can't be the victim and super powerful. Well, it's like the driving analogy. I think I've shared that with you before where you're out driving and yeah. you get lost in your thoughts or you're on a call or something, you know, yeah. and you go right past your exit. <laughs> Just blow right by. Yeah. You've done this That's before, so, too. Yesterday. I've done this twice at the same place down in St. George. I'm going to see a client. I get lost in my thoughts. I know I'm in the wrong place when I see this big, colorful sign. It says, Arizona welcomes you. Welcome to Vegas. Yeah, well, yeah, right. Arizona. I'm not even in the right state. So here, (laughs) I'm driving around Arizona in the desert of Arizona. This isn't where I wanted to be, not what I had in mind. And how often does that show up in life? Totally. And then I look down and guess whose hands are on the wheel? Your wife's. Yeah, I wish. No, can't blame her either, can you? Right? you it's me and you have to swallow kind of hard to accept the responsibility when when you abandon the victim paradigm take responsibility for yourself it's seeing your own hands on the wheel Mm. and the bad news is also the good news because if your hands are on the wheel what are you going to do now turn around fix it steer it take it somewhere where do you want to go and you've got the power to do that now yeah that's see that's pain though I mean, that's ownership. But I guess mm-hmm. you're saying that's that's it. You can pretend any other way you want. You can blame everyone oh, yeah. else for where you got. But the reality is it's and, your game. And there's no time limits. Oh, yeah. You can do that as long as you want. Yeah. I mean, that's what's funny is it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Hey, it doesn't work. Nope, still doesn't work. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Doesn't Wait, work. Let me try it again. Work. Yeah. And we persist in doing those things. 
No, answer that. Why, mm-hmm. if we all come on, mm-hmm. why would any of us let our brains do that to us? That's crazy. <laughs> you know, I love the way that Viktor Frankl put this. Viktor Frankl, Austrian psychiatrist. Yes. World War II, Jewish, Austrian psychiatrist. by the no, Yeah, the not a good mix, right? Yeah. So he gets captured. His whole family is killed in these concentration camps. He gets sent to Auschwitz oh. for processing and then on to Turkheim. And yeah. It was, it was a horrendous experience. And one of the things he said, he said a lot of really great things. He learned a lot of stuff through that. But he said, between stimulus and response is a space. And in that space exists choice. Yeah. So why do we persist in this? Because we don't stop to think about our thinking. Yeah. When you think about your thinking, it's like what you were saying earlier in the show, Matt. To to take a higher level view of it and to back off and say, okay, what is it that I'm thinking that has me feeling this way? Yeah. And we will often find that we're being too harsh or judgmental about ourselves or our situation. We're we're thinking that this is bad. Yeah. And it's obvious. It's going to look wrong. Yeah. But it's interesting because um, I can see your thinking is messed up. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yours right. is clear as day. <laughs> Isn't that funny? We can see everyone else is messed up. And we all know that we're right. Yeah. I mean, it, because I've, I've collected all the data I need. It's not even that we think prove. we're right. We know we, know. we are. Because, and we would never do that, except there's the few times we did, but ours have reasons. Oh, yeah. Because we, we would never intentionally that. do that. Mm-hmm. But I can see yours more easily in a way, I guess, than I can see my own. Well, you're already separated from it. Yeah. So it's easier to analyze something that you're not in the middle of. Yeah. I think Einstein said, um, you can't solve a problem with the same level of thinking that created the problem in the first place. Yeah. I mean, what does he know? And what does he know, right? He's just genius. It's the same thing that we're talking about here to back off, take a look at your own thinking. And when you do that, it's a lot easier to see the humor in it too. Oh, see, it's interesting. Maybe in that space, and that's exactly what he was getting into. When you can sit there and start looking at your own thinking, you'll identify, you know, maybe what's not appropriate to normally say, Mm -hmm. which is the setup for almost the perfect Mm -hmm. joke, especially if it's benign. Nobody gets hurt. Right. Hmm. See, Paul, what do you know? <laughs> See, right there. I just did it. Right there. Boom. There you go. Boom. I just did it. I just, I just did a benign violation. What do you know? Who has a really cool moment with a guest like that and then says, well, what do you know? Who says that? <laughs> Matt Someone Townsend. Rude. That would get me fired, though. Yeah. Uh, we're going to take a break. We're here with the good Dr. Paul Jenkins. You've got to go check out his website, drpauljenkins.com. Dr. Paul Jenkins, he's got a podcast, Live on Purpose. you got to listen to that. Uh, soon I'll be on that. Not that that will help. <laughs> um, but it it's actually stands alone, so it'll be able to endure a visit from me. Also, be looking for his book coming out, Pathological Positivity. That'll be out in January 2030. 2030. 2013. How about 2014? That'll be so good. Yeah, that's sooner. That's better. You're good. 
We're going to take a break. We're coming back. Uh, we've got two fun things to look out. Humor Geography. Hannah Montana from the uh, Geography Bee is going to be joining us. And she's going to teach us where fun, what people find funny in certain locations. And then we're going to wrap up the show with our favorite dad jokes. Nobody's funnier on earth than our fathers who can put together a really good dad joke. So we're going to share our good dad jokes. If Paul can stick with us, we know he's strung together a few really good dad jokes. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody. It's the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, we're wrapping up the day of humor, and we thought what better way to do that uh, than going to Hannah, Montana, who has literally traveled most of the western United States and some of uh, intercontinental Canada. A little more than that. Okay. And Hannah, what have you learned about humor and geography? Well, um, made a little bit about it, but it's super interesting to see how geography does affect... Not what we find funny, but how we show it. Let's listen to it. Have you ever noticed that people from different nationalities tend to have different senses of humor? It's often seen in films and pop culture. One common comparison is American versus British television. Americans prefer slapstick, one-line jokes, political satire, and observational humor, while British humor is witty, ironic, subtle, satirical, clever, dry, and self-deprecating. When looking at what international films come from independent film companies in the United States, the only ones that sell well internationally are action films. There are no comedies. The reason for that is that comedy differs based on geographical location. A recent study on the subject concluded that all countries, or almost all, have made a specialty of mocking their leaders and their neighbors, territories or populations. The best customer for jokes, whatever their nature, are the Germans, followed by the French, Danish, and British. The Irish, British, Australians, and New Zealanders have a particular preference for jokes based on wordplay, while North Americans, or United States and Canada, prefer gags based on superiority complexes, either because a person appears stupid or is unwittingly made to look like it. Final summation is, you could watch a romantic comedy made in the United States and Britain about the same thing, but they would be completely different. The things we find funny aren't different, but it's how we find them funny that is. Interesting. I don't like, I'd rather have the humor of like New Zealand. Yeah. Me, I actually I like feel like play. I don't like slapstick or. I mean, I do like stuff. to joke about superiority and feeling better than people. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but uh, it's interesting. Isn't that interesting? Why do you think um, the poor Polish, the Polak, has become the butt of all jokes? That doesn't seem fair. That's American they're superiority. Just, yeah. They're just. Funny. They're not the butt of their own jokes. We are. I don't know. Research that, Hannah. I'll research it. I'll bring it to you next time. That was some pretty great research. By the way, The Office, one of the greatest shows, I think, of all time. A lot of you shake your head no. You kind of look like thank Steve Carell, just a little bit. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. You look like Hannah Montana. I am Hannah Montana. People do say, hey, you look like, and I'm like, Steve Carell, and they say, no, Michael Scott, which is offensive. That would be like someone saying, hey, you look like, and you'd be Hannah Montana? No, like And they'd say, no, Miley Cyrus. Yeah, I'd be offended. Not that she's offensive, because she's a wonderful person. Um, (laughs) Allegedly. (laughs) 
No. Actually, I, I'm a fan of her music. So. I Yeah. Um, anywho, The Office. Have you seen The Office, the British version? Something we all share in common that we both find funny is putting a person's stapler in jello. That was funny no, in England. That's hilarious. And that is hilarious in the United States. Well, boom, boom. They also, by the way, know how to pick talent. America's got it. Britain's got it. Talent. Talent. Oh, my. See, we follow their lead. That's how that works. Yeah. They're leaders. We just think we're better than anyone. Anyway, appreciate that. Good job. And congrats on the geography, B. Um, thank you. What's the farthest distance you've ever traveled? Come on. Where have you gone? Where have you gone? Biggest, craziest, furthest um, on the map? I don't know. Penguich, Utah. Penguich, Utah. I, I drove to St. George one time. It was pretty intense. Whoa. Four hours south. I'm, I'm also just, in I'm, Utah. I'm totally yeah. Also in Utah. <laughs> that's, where, that's where Paul always passes <laughs> and he misses it. That's where I miss my exit. I can't yeah. imagine actually ever meeting someone who'd only been in one state their entire life. That'd be weird. Oh, yeah. All of my kids were like that. Were they? Yeah, for, you know, a year or so. <laughs> yeah. Nine months in utero. You know what? That's a great segue to our dad joke segment. Let's go. Right that, that, there. That played the perfect dad joke. My daughter's already rolling her eyes. Is she? She's like, Dad, you're so embarrassed. Okay. To wrap up the show, we thought it'd be fun if we just shared our, our jokes that our dads taught us. Okay. You, anyone can jump in at any point with their dad's jokes. I have a few. Okay, let's to get go going. with. Yeah. All right. What do you say when there's only one straw left at a restaurant? This is the last straw. <laughs> Did your dad do that? No, my dad hasn't done that. That's classic. No. But your kid's dad will. Oh, right. That's a right. Great, I'm going to use that. If there's only one straw left, that's this coming is out of the my mouth. Last straw. What did the guy say to the doctor after he had some food coloring? What? Doc. I feel like I died a little inside. Uh, isn't that? Isn't that? Yeah, no, no. That's did you good. die a little inside when you hear that? You know joke? what? Right there, you felt paternal to me. You felt like did my I? father. Did I? I said, Dad. My dad was more into humorous poetry. Oh, let's hear one. Like lines on the antiquity of fleas. Adam had him. Your dad was weird. I know. Poetic. <laughs> Poetic indeed. Man, my dad just said, hey, pull my finger. And I'm like, what? And my mom's like, don't go near him. <laughs> Isn't that weird? And I hope my dad's not listening. He actually never said that, but that's funny. Do you, know, you want to know my dad's favorite one? What? Whenever we drive past the cemetery, he says, hey, people are just dying to get in there. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, our listeners like that one. All of them. So much so, it came out of the speakers. That was amazing. We've never had laughter like that on the show. Wow. Thanks, wow. Dad. <laughs> Your dad's funny. I say this one. Um, like, we'll go by, give me a town that has an ER ending. Helper. Helper. We'll go by helper, and I'll say, look, helper, helper. And my kids will say, helper. No, I used to say it. Now they say it. Help her. We hardly know her. Hold it. Actually, Matt does that joke all the time. I do. That's my joke. <laughs> that is a dad joke. Uh, what, what, do you, what do you say to a hitchhiking frog? Hop in. Nothing? Got nothing? Okay. Ribbit. Ribbit. Sounds like a Laffy Taffy joke. Um, Hannah. Best source. Did you have a dad joke, Hannah? 
Merritt, did you? My my dad did the whole, You're, if you ever said you were hungry or something, then he was like, oh, hi, hungry. Nice to meet you. Still not funny. Wow. Never was funny. Yeah, ever. that was hard. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. Okay, Merritt. You, yeah. you had a smart dad. Smart. <laughs> he is smart. Professor. He loves dad jokes a lot, though. Really? Yeah. Throw one down. Let's see. Okay. We sit down to dinner. He says, we look at the plate, and he says, be careful. That might get in your mouth. Because we're eating dinner. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, see. <laughs> you it know, wasn't funny when I was a kid either. <laughs> it's Maybe you have to be there, though. Like you have to be there. No, you, you have to be related to the person <laughs> who made the joke. You I think also that's have the to key. be like five, because when you're five, it's when hilarious. When I was five, that was the funniest joke ever. Isn't it cute though that they try? Like, what if yeah. they just said, "Eat your food, shut your mouth." Doing. Yeah. Well, yeah. open your mouth because you're eating food. Oh, Probably shouldn't. Oh. Here we go. <laughs> Probably, I mean, Don't talk back to hey, me. Hey, Matt. I brought you to this earth, <laughs> and I can take you off at this what, earth. What, what kind of room has no door or windows? A mushroom. You smiled. You tried not to, but yeah. I saw you smile. Yeah, that was dumb. Isn't that pretty bad? All those you know what these remind me of? Scout jokes. Have you ever heard of oh, outros yeah. and intros? So they made me the uh-huh. cub master once in charge of a bunch of little kids, scouts. And you have to, you have to do these jokes because, you know, you got to keep their attention. And that's <laughs> the kind of joke I would give. Hey, Matt, what's the difference between a mosquito and a fly? I don't know. You can't zip your mosquito. Yeah, that one is actually a scout joke. Is it really? Because yeah. see, it's that makes you think. Be. That makes you think. Oh, James has got one. Well, I, I just like how with all of these jokes, it's always fo- followed by that awkward pause where we yeah. don't really know where to, whether well, to yeah. laugh or be sit there horrified. Well, yeah, you want to laugh just for Bryce, for example. You want to laugh for him. Yeah, but then you don't. It's not funny. But you don't want to encourage him too much. Yeah, no. Because that's what going. I get at the dinner table. My family just does not want to encourage me. <laughs> Really? It's not like I need a lot yeah. of encouragement. But they're like, right. no, yeah, just you guys. Do they ever tell your friends, they like lean over, just ignore him. My and, kids say that. They're actually like, just ignore my dad. And the same ones don't seem to change in funniness much. I mean, yeah. to me, they, they are yeah. hilarious oh, yeah. always. Profoundly the, hilarious, yeah. Yeah. My wife says, I, I'm going to run down to the store. Oh, honey, take the car. It's a lot faster. <laughs> and funny. it just doesn't stop being funny. No, you know what funny, I mean? Though. It's that's hilarious. Funny. Hey, um, that's interesting, isn't it? We're, we all have messed up parents when you think about it. Or at least not funny parents. I think really it comes down to dads get in the habit of telling these jokes because they keep having kids. And as we all know, kids are brand new people who don't already know all of your jokes. Right. So you can keep all your material. Exactly. Each new kid, new, fresh new victim. Recycle. Someone Recycle who can appreciate my humor. Exactly. The great moment, though, is mm-hmm. when the mom of the house is like, Shh, no, honey, don't say that. that. Don't say that joke. We've all heard it 20 times. Please, not that one. Yeah. Or when she finishes the joke for you. Blah, 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 mushroom. Hey, what's the what's the quietest sport? Quietest sport? It would be bowling because you can hear a pin drop. <laughs> you're gonna end, you're gonna end on that one, right? Um, yeah, that's, that's yeah. all you got. Sounded like a finale yeah, that's to all me. You got. Boy, <laughs> a swan song. Yep, something. Anyway, that's it, folks. Humor, you got it. Problem solved. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back. Uh, Monday. Actually, we'll be back tomorrow on the air. You'll get a best of show. Uh, and on Monday, we have a brand new topic. What's the topic, Merritt? The topic is overparenting. Ooh, overparenting. Huge. We'll see you then. Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.